Let's just bow in prayer. Jesus, we thank you that we can be here this morning. Thank you for all of the blessings that you have given to us. Thank you, Lord, for what we're learning through the Beatitudes. I ask, Lord, that it will be an impactful study, that you would just help us to remember and retain these things by the power of your Holy Spirit. We ask that you would just teach today, just guide me as I, as I think through these things and speak, and I just ask that your hand will be upon us. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. So today we are going to be talking about spiritual hunger and spiritual thirst. And I want you to think about your own hearts. We don't have to talk about this out loud, but I want you to think about whether or not you are spiritually hungry. You have a longing to know God better, a longing to grow in him. Because we all know what physical hunger and physical thirst is like. We have maybe too much of that, but not enough spiritual hunger. And so that's what we're going to be spending our time on today. And um, I want you to think directly as how all of this applies to you. So we want to say right away, come hungry, come thirsty for today. And this is the beatitude that we're going to be looking at. It's blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Not anything but righteousness will do. And so we're going to take a look here at all of the things that hunger and thirst means. We're going to be dividing up our lesson into kind of into three parts, into hungry and thirsty, into righteousness, and into filled, so that we have an understanding of what those words mean as we go through this. Now, this verse hooks itself onto the foundational three that we've already studied. And um, I want to have you just think about this for a moment because it's the foundation that we laid in the first three weeks that leads us to this, to this point. Because in those first three Beatitudes, all of them speak of deep needs in our heart. And those needs in our heart, truly, in all of our lifetimes, are never fully to be finished. We're to continue to be poor in spirit, to be mournful over sin, to be meek in our behavior. But this next one takes us to a phase where God invites us actually to do something uh, that, that is important that will help us to find fulfillment in him. So first of all, let me just again go over those first three. The first beatitude was blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for they will theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And again, this is those who see no righteousness in themselves, but they understand that they, they can't make it without God, and that sin separates them from a holy God. And so the first beatitude is designed to give us a picture of who God is and how he grants us freedom from sin and invites us into a relationship with him. And then we come to blessed are those who mourn, 
And mourning doesn't mean mourning about all of the things that are going on in the world, but mourning about the sin in our lives that's working within us, the sin that we see around us. It's, it's wonderful to mourn for the world in the sense of praying for it because it's caught in a sinful and debilitating trap. And so we see our sin and we see the righteousness that God offers us, and he comforts us with the power of his Holy Spirit. And then the one that we looked at last week, and I'm sure you'll remember uh, the video of the horse being brought down and, and um, gentled. And that beatitude is designed to teach us that we need to come to a point where we're willing to depend totally on God for our very lives, to not keep on trying, but to begin to trust and so that our spirits are gentled. God helps us to look at the meekness of Jesus as an example for us and brings us to a point where we can be used because when, when our spirits are meek and we become gentle, we become usable tools for the Lord Jesus Christ. So that brings us to this fourth beatitude and we find a solution as to how to continue these things with the Lord. And we're going to take a look at some of the things that we see here. So the beatitude is, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. We're going to look at the words hunger and thirst because what they mean in the Greek has to do with a deep longing. A hunger that causes us to be famished for God. To be desperate for God. To be desperate for for righteousness. We're also going to find out that you can't separate God and righteousness. If you're going to seek for righteousness, you will seek for God. Righteousness does not exist outside of a holy God. And that's one of the things that the world needs to learn. So we learn that man longs for righteousness. Ever since man was created, he has had a longing for righteousness. When Adam was created, he was filled with the righteousness of God. God created him in innocence and in perfection. His relationship with God was holy and righteous, and sin entered and broke that pattern of righteousness. When Adam sinned, the world was all cast into sin. All we like sheep have gone astray. All of us sinned in Adam. And Adam's sin was put on our account. And so there is within mankind a longing for righteousness because without the righteousness of God in him, in Adam, in Eve, there was a hole. Where God had been, there was a vacuum. And that vacuum can only be filled by God himself. And so if man tries to attain righteousness outside of God, he cannot do it. And that's what we're going to look at today. We have to have that empty space within us filled. Now, true righteousness, then, cannot be ours apart from God. That's probably the primary aspect of this whole lesson. True righteousness cannot be ours apart from God. All of the Man's history shows us that mankind has tried to find righteousness without God. 
How successful has man been to find righteousness apart from God? We cannot do it. In the Bible, in the early history of mankind, we find that man continually sinned. After Adam sinned, sin began to creep throughout the whole world, throughout the whole earth. And then we, we reach, in, we reach the um, chapter in Genesis on Noah, and we find out that man was evil everywhere, and every thought of his heart was evil. And God was grieved that he had made man. And we continue on until we get to the Israelites and Moses, and we find out that they, too, tried to find righteousness, but apart from God, they could not. And Moses called them together to follow him out of Egypt, and even then, even though God delivered them, they still did not find God fully for their lives. And then God gave them the law. When the law was given, it was designed to bring men to God, to Christ. We get to the New Testament. Let me ask you this from what we've studied. How successful was the law among the hearts of people? You see, there cannot be any righteousness without God. And so we have to look at this for a moment. I want you to turn in your Bibles, if you have them, please, to Romans chapter 9. <clears throat> and this describes for us the problem that the Israelites had with righteousness. Matthew 9. I think I'm going to start reading at verse 30 instead of 31, down through 33. Okay. It says, what then shall we say that the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it, a righteousness that is by faith? But Israel, who pursued a law of righteousness, has not attained it, even though they had the law. Why not? because they pursued it not by faith, but as if it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone, and that stumbling stone was Jesus. Jesus called them to a life of faith. Let me read that last verse. See, I lay in Zion a stone that causes men to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now, I'd like you to turn over to Romans 3 because we see that even though they tried to follow the law which God had given them, they still could not do it because they did not put faith in God. So in Romans 3, God comes with a whole new solution, not anything he just thought up on the spur of the moment, but one that had been designed from all of eternity. So Romans 3, starting in verse 21, and I'm going to read and comment on these as I go down through them. So if um, you'll just turn there and follow with me. It says, but now a righteousness from God, notice that phrase, apart from law has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testified. Again, this was not a new thought in God's mind. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ. To all who believed, there is no difference, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. 
God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. And he did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. And he did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time, so to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in him. God's solution for the sin of man is Jesus Christ. That those who would believe on the atoning blood of Jesus as he was put on that cross as a sacrifice for our sins and would see him as the sacrifice for us all and put faith in that act, then have the ability in God to be righteous. In fact, God declares us righteous in him. And we're going to just talk for a little bit about this. Declared righteous by the works of Jesus Christ. God has justified us just as if we had died. Our sins are covered by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we accept the Lord as our Savior, we are declared righteous in him. Holy. Justified. Just as though we had never sinned justified. The penalty has been paid. We have by faith accepted the Lord Jesus Christ and his work on our behalf. We are free from sin. This is the first beatitude. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for they shall see God, and I see him as my righteousness. But then we have another kind of righteousness personal righteousness, or practical righteousness. And what we're really talking about here is our sanctification. Now, that's a big word that really just means God works out within us what he has already declared <clears throat> true, for, true for us. Excuse me. <clears throat> you see, Jesus' blood covers us all. And so we are declared righteous before him, and then God goes to work within us to will and to do of his good pleasure. That's what that verse says, those verses up in Philippians. For it is God who works in you to will and to do of his good pleasure. And that process starts from the moment that we come to him poor in spirit, we begin to see our sins and we mourn over them. We take his meekness and we ask him, to help us to be gentled as he is, to help our spirits come in line with him. And now God says to us, blessed are those who hunger and who thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. So now God says, here, you are declared righteous, but now I want you to begin to live righteously. You cannot do that until you hunger for righteousness within your spirit. You long to be holy. You long to be like God. It doesn't work without him. So, God sets that up for us. He does it all by declaring us righteous. Then he calls us to righteous, and then he begins to work in us. For it is God who works in us to will 
and to do of his good pleasure. He wills within us that we hunger after righteousness. He wills within us that we search for righteousness. And so as we begin to do it, he begins to fill us with himself. Now, let me just talk about this for a moment because as we begin to do this, our lives are filled with satisfaction, personal satisfaction. Once you start seeking after God, if you've not ever done it, you've not ever taken the word of God and, and begun to read it for yourself and ask the Lord to help you to be righteous in him, and as you get to know him, you begin to feel differently inside because you begin to know him. He becomes real to you. And so what God does in our hearts, he, he invites us to believe in him, and then he tells us that we will be filled by him if we hunger and thirst after righteousness. And that righteousness will lead to filling and satisfaction within all, all that we are and do. Now, there's something important here because people search for, for righteousness all the time. Their definition of righteousness often leaves God out of the picture. Righteousness is not happiness. The world seeks happiness. Righteousness is not um, to be blessed. Righteousness is something that involves God himself. God doesn't just want us to seek for blessing. He want us, wants us to seek for himself. So it cannot be found apart from God. So to those who hunger and thirst after anything other than God, will not find righteousness, will not be filled. You will always be driven by something that's missing from your life. Christian experiences, Christian conferences, even book learning isn't what fills you. The word of God fills you, but the spirit of God living in you takes that word of God and applies it to your life. And so what God is saying to those who hunger and thirst after righteousness found in him will be filled. God is the key to our being filled. He is the key to our righteousness. No other righteousness. Being good isn't what God is looking for. His righteousness will work in you good, goodness and holiness and righteousness and peace it will work in you wisdom all that you need is in God and that's what he calls you to do seek for righteousness in God and all of these things will be added unto you all right now this beatitude then what this does is it places the emphasis on God's goal for mankind God's goal for mankind is that we have within us and live out the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That is God's goal. In him, in Christ alone, God is glorified. His goal for us is that we allow him to so live in us that the world sees Jesus in us. 
the righteousness of Jesus Christ living in us fills us. Now, I want to take you to the book of Philippians. We're going to finish our study this morning looking at Paul as an example of someone who sought for God with all his heart. Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 17. Now, what we know about the Apostle Paul is that he had a radical conversion, okay? He was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He was a Pharisee. He persecuted the church because he thought he was doing what he should be doing according to the law. He, he did not have anything to do um, with preaching the gospel he, had, he was zealous in persecuting the church because he believed that it was not what God wanted to have happen within, within his world. And so when Paul was converted, it was radical. Something happened in his heart, and he changed. And what we're going to see in verses 10 through, or 7 through, really through the end of the chapter, is a commitment to God that is unlike any that I've seen in, in much of what I've read in Scripture. It's a profound commitment. And if we want to hunger and thirst after righteousness, we need to look at these things because they challenge us to commit our lives to God, to seek Him, to hunger for Him, okay? So I'm going to start reading in verse 7 down through verse 10, first of all. So we know that he was, um, he had reasons to be confident in, confident in his own self. But he gets to verse 7 and he says, Whatever was to my profit in my former life before I knew Christ, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all these things, and I count them as rubbish, as nothing, that I might gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from, what's the word? Comes from the law, but a righteousness that comes from faith, through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. He had the law down pat. He knew it, he taught it, he tried to live it. But he had a hole in his heart, and he needed a Savior. And when he came to the Savior, he was convicted of his sin. And he gave himself wholeheartedly for, to God and to Christ so that he could say, I long to know him. I'm willing to put everything else aside that I might know the righteousness of God living in me, a righteousness that is not of the law, but is through faith in Christ. This is all available to us, a righteousness that enables us to know God. And I want you to see 
He wants to be found in Christ. In other words, he wants to be identified with him in the world in which he, he lives. And I want to um, take you down from verse 10 to verse 10. Because this is a, an exceptionally powerful verse. It says this. We're going to talk about it for a while. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Wow. I'm going to tell you something. When I was probably in my 20s and I was still living in Milwaukee, um, working, I studied this verse, and it was in my devotions, and I came across it, and I said, I want that to be my life verse. And you know what? I struggled with that verse because it's real easy to say this part of it. I want to know Christ. Sounds good, doesn't it? And I do, and I did. And then it goes on, and the power of his resurrection. Well, that sounds okay, too. I'd like to have that. Becoming and, and the fellowship of sh sharing in his sufferings. Now, this one always stopped me. The fellowship of sharing in the sufferings of God. I would get to that, and I would maybe be praying, and I'd say, Lord, I want to know you and the power of your resurrection. And you know how when you're young and you don't know very much, you kind of, boy, that sounds great. I wonder, too, if Paul had any idea of what he was saying here. But listen, I want to know Christ, and I want to know the power of his resurrection, and I would choke on the fellowship of his sufferings. Wow. Do I really want to know Christ that badly that I would be willing to enter into that relationship? And this is talking about the relationship that he had with his father while he was on the cross and suffering. Think about that relationship. God the Father and God the Son in fellowship throughout the suffering of Jesus Christ. I didn't know if I wanted that. That's pretty tough to think about, isn't it? Being willing to give up, to be crucified with Christ. Galatians 2.20, I could quote that too. I am crucified with Christ. Well, bam, here I meet it all over. To suffer with him. But that's what this is talking about. Being willing to bear it all, to give it all over to the Lord. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Whew. And the fellowship of his sufferings, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. That's what this is talking about, being wholly committed to the Lord Jesus. And then he says, and somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Again, I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. This is talking about going to the cross laying your sins upon Jesus, seeing yourself crucified, him crucified on your behalf, 
and now rising with him to live in newness of life. It's a serious thing, isn't it? To want to be like, to want to be like Christ and be found in him. So I'm sharing that because these verses are easy to read. But when you think about them, they have profound meaning. And this is what the Apostle Paul wanted in his life. It's something that we ought to attain to also. When he says, I want to attain to the resurrection from the dead, that means really to live in holiness. And I do. I want that in my life. But the getting there takes a daily commitment to the Lord. Now I want to go on here and just continue a bit. It says, I'm going to read verse 10 again and then go on. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of, uh, um, and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained. You see, Paul was on a journey too. So don't give up. If you can't read those verses and say, amen, and I'm, I'm going to do them, Lord, don't give up. Not that I have already attained or obtained all of this or have already been made perfect. We're on a journey. And holiness is a continuing act. Righteousness is continual within us. But I press on, he says, to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But this one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining forward to what is ahead, I press on. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus to be like him in glory. That's what it's about. I want to be like him here on earth. I press on to the goal that I might be in fellowship with him in glory. So it is a a continuing journey that we're on. Don't be discouraged where you are on that journey. Just continue to seek hunger and thirst after righteousness, and you will be filled. And then um, we'll find out that in this journey and also in our, in our journey with God here on earth, it's, it involves community involvement, all right? It's not just about us. And Paul talks here to... Um, the people that he's ministering to. In verse 15, he says, forgetting, or verse 15, all of us who are mature should take such a view of things. He says, people, I want you to do what I'm doing. He says, if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. In other words, I know that God has me on this track so I can teach you about it. And if you have a hard time thinking about it, God is going to make it clear to you, this concept of being involved with him. And then verse 16, it says, only let us live up to what we have already attained. So where are you on your Christian journey? Where are you in your hunger and you, your thirst for righteousness? Live up to where you are on your spiritual journey and then continue on from there. And Paul goes on and he talks about some of the things he sees among the people that he's ministering with. Verse 17, he invites them. He says, join with others 
and following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern that we have given you. Look at those who walk in the Lord. And then he says, for as I have told you before, and I now say it again with tears, many, and he's speaking to believers, live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. And then he claims, makes this claim, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring anything under his, everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so they will be like his earthly body. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. As we bring ourselves under the control of the Lord Jesus, his meekness finally will bring us into eternity. His being meek enough to go to the cross. His being meek enough to give everything for himself. And he calls us to follow that pattern so that we might live before the world in a pattern that glorifies God. And so all of these things are part of hungering and thirsting after righteousness. It involves a courageous commitment. That's the main thing. I want you to see that. It's not easy. But God says, come hungry, come thirsty, come to the word of God, come to the waters. He says, and drink of me. Come to me, and you will be filled. Come thirsty, come hungry. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they'll be filled. Let's pray. <clears throat> Jesus, we thank you for these hard words, because they are hard. They're hard in the sense that we now recognize our own inability to be righteous without you. We call on you, Lord, to just work in our lives, work out within us what you have done, work out through our lives what you want us to be, and help us, Lord, to be holy and to be righteous in this world around us. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Now again, I want to ask you if you have your books with you, I'm going to spend a few minutes answering some questions or having you answer some questions. So we would be on lesson four, and now I'd like you to turn to page 30, if you will. I want to read the paragraph up at the top of the page because it covers some of the things that we've talked about today. I've taken it from a little bit different aspect, but I'll, I'll explain some things here. Righteousness in the Bible has at least three aspects, legal, moral, and social. Now, I've talked about the legal aspect of it, where God has declared us justified. That's a legal um, justification. It's a, it's a judgment that has been made. Our sins have been judged in Christ legally. God has declared us justified. 
So it also involves legal, moral, and social, our personal, our personal or practical outworking of God in us. So I've kind of lumped those together. So legal, legal righteousness is justification, a right relationship with God. That cannot be Jesus' meaning here, since he was addressing people who had already been made righteous in the legal sense of belonging to him. And he's referencing one of the questions that he had um, on number four, physical hunger and physical thirst. So it's not referencing that. Um, moral righteousness is an inner righteousness of the heart, the mind, and the motive. But biblical righteousness is more than a private affair. That's what we're talking about, biblical righteousness. It includes social righteousness as well, moral righteousness, social right righteousness, legal righteousness are all included in biblical righteousness. So the Christians, Christians then are committed to hunger for righteousness in the whole human community as something pleasing to a righteous God. Under the headings that I used would be declared righteousness and personal righteousness. God wants us to work those out in the whole Christian community in whole human community. So I want you to understand that, and then I want you to go down to question number five. I want to have you just think about it, and maybe you can answer it. It says, despite Jesus' promise that we will be filled, that's the case, why do we continue to hunger and thirst after righteousness? We can never be perfect. Okay, anyone want to add to that? Yes, John. This is so funny because I'm always worried about my answer, but I know because we live in a smaller world, we will truly never achieve or be completely filled. Heaven will provide, provide this for us. And then I read below and exactly what he wrote. <laughs> All right, because we live in this fallen world, we will never be fully righteous. And until we get to heaven, we will never be fully righteous. <clears throat> but in God's eyes, we are now fully righteous, declared righteous. Why? On the basis of what? On the basis of the death of Jesus Christ for our sins. An atonement has been made. Payment has been made. He went to jail for us went to the grave. He paid the penalty to set us free so that we could live through him and for him. Um, one other question I want to take you over to, um, we talked about this on page 31. Contrast the righteousness between, the, the difference between the righteousness of the law and the righteousness of faith in Jesus. Righteousness of law, just to remind you again, is what? By works, righteousness by faith involves that we take our, all of our beings and place our, our trust in what Jesus has done for us. So we know that it's futile to try to establish our own righteousness. We cannot do it on our own. We need to invite the righteousness of Jesus Christ on our behalf. So just once more, come hungry, come thirsty to God. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be filled.
Thank you. Linda. All our righteousness is as filthy rags. We need the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Okay, let me just close again with a word of prayer. Father, we are so grateful for the sacrifice that you made for us. We thank you that you are our righteousness. We thank you that you work within us to produce your righteousness through us. And Lord, just thank you for the grace of God that has forgiven our sins. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.